Is gaining deeper consumer engagement primarily a function of ease of use? And what kind of tools do consumers need and want? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. How can you be the first to know about each week's podcast and get on the list for special listener-only content? It's simple. Go to shiftshapersonline.com and click the subscribe button. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're speaking with Veer Gidwani. Veer is the co-founder and CEO at Maxwell Health. And for those of you who have not encountered Maxwell Health yet, they're an HR and benefits technology platform and a marketplace. And they're working real hard to create a seamless canvas of benefits enrollment and management and, and some of the other tools. So with that preamble, welcome, Veer. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Lots to talk about in this area, so let's get started. It used to be that to get folks engaged, consumers engaged, all we had to do was kind of drop an app or a program or something on them. That's changed, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. And and I think that in the world of health and benefits, it's important for us to define what we mean by engagement. Right? Are we looking for an employee to engage with the workplace? Are we looking for the employee to engage with their benefits? Are we looking for employees to engage with the HR function? So they're all good questions. And I think that, you know, an important perspective of, of it is, is that, you know, when it comes to the employee engaging at work, the main purpose of that engagement is to engage with the work and their colleagues. It's not to engage with their benefits. And, you know, more often than not, if you're actually having to use your benefits, it's probably not under the best of circumstances. So I think the definition of engagement is an important thing to understand. And for for me, and the way I think about it is that it has a lot more to do with being there when someone needs you, being the place they can rely on when they have a problem. And I think that that sort of reaction, having a reaction that's helpful and there at a moment's notice and, and being obvious as the place to go for that employee is the most important part of how we think of engagement. So I think the, the term often gets lost. And, you know, it's interesting. One way to think about it is that to the point of dropping an app and, and they'll download it and use it. So a couple things to keep in mind. One, just because you have an app on your phone doesn't mean you use it. But moreover, you know, there's probably N of one people in America that have their health insurance app their life insurance app, and their 401k app on their phone, let alone the home screen. I mean, there's probably nobody. So, you know, I think that there's got to be a lot more thought put into what we mean by engagement and what we're ultimately trying to accomplish for that end user. 
And yet you bring up a very important component, and we've, we've begun speaking about it more and more on the podcast of late, and that is this component of emotion and how emotion drives behavior and emotion drives decision. You said that, you know, you define engagement as being there when somebody really needs you when they have a problem. That's emotion, isn't it? Yeah, I think that when people are in a state of distress or confusion or just needing to figure out a problem that is stumping them, you're dealing with lack of time, urgency, money, concerns about a loved one if there's a true health problem. Those are all times where emotion kicks in. And good emotions, I mean, these are emotions that help people cope and get through problems. But they're nonetheless real, which means that it may not always be appropriate to serve the end user in the way that we deem to be most efficient. We need to meet that individual where they are. And in some cases, they need a reassuring hug from a colleague or a friend. In other instances, they need to hop on the phone and know that someone is listening to their problem. And in other instances, it's just simply pure efficiency. I have I have a question. I need an answer. Please give it to me now. In which case, having it at their fingertips at the tap of a thumb might be the most appropriate thing. But the success of that interaction is based upon the interpretation of that individual. So how did they perceive the objective they had being accomplished? And if that perception is one that's positive, then that's great for them and for everyone involved. So our aim should be to achieve that perceived success, which means that we have to think about meeting that person where they are and utilizing the communication channels that are appropriate given who they are in the situation at hand. All of those instances that you just enumerated seem pretty straightforward, pretty clear, and yet it's antithetical to the system as it appears today. Most consumers and advisors look out and they see an incredibly complex environment that's daunting, especially if what you're looking for is to just get a question answered and get it answered now. Other industries have done a better job than we have at some of that. Do you agree with the premise, first of all? And second of all, what do we need to do in order to make that a simpler and more approachable transaction for the client? Yes, I do agree with the premise. And I think there are a couple of reasons for it. I think it's important to unpack the reasons before we get to what the solutions might be. But one of them has to do with most of the money and benefits is earned when the benefits are sold. Money is spent when the benefits are used. Now, I don't suggest that there's any ill intent in trying to make benefits easy to use. I don't think there's anyone who sits around in a room and says, hey, if we make this stuff hard, then people won't use it. I think it just has to do with a lack of focus on what that consumer experience is because it's it's not front and center to the revenue generation element of the purveyors of those products. Now, I think that's dramatically changing because as brand loyalty appreciation evolves, as efficiency comes from linking these products and services together, we're starting to find a higher purpose around making it simpler to understand the products that we have to utilize. And so I think that now that the value equation has shifted away from purely what happens when someone buys, but an appreciation that loyalty and what you can earn from that consumer if you keep them as a loyal customer for the medium to long term is starting to make itself known and make itself present. And I think that's forcing thought leaders to put more effort and to be more creative about how to make it easier to use the products that we leverage every day. The other thing is, is that we often look to other industries as having solved these problems. And 
I think that there's evolutions of solutions that have emerged, but let's just take the world of entertainment for for a second here as an example. You know, I remember when I was in my 20s and uh, teens and would you know head over to Blockbuster to rent a movie, and it was this lengthy process of walking through the aisles and trying to recall what the good pictures were. And this was before you know mobile phones were really a great way to get information, and Rotten Tomatoes didn't exist. And so often I'd walk out of Blockbuster on a Friday night with my wife and not actually take anything with us because it was just so confusing. And so now if you look at Netflix, you look at Spotify, we've started to subscribe to the outcome of entertainment. We don't subscribe or buy individual tracks or videos. We subscribe to entertainment. I pay Netflix nine bucks a month, and I hope that they will keep me entertained. And it's really good value. I think that that kind of world will emerge in benefits where the outcome will become very important to how the consumer views success with their interactions. And, you know, that begs a new kind of innovation to happen because the complex part about benefits is that you have so many moving parts. The average consumer is going to have six, seven, eight, maybe a dozen products and services that they have access to and that they pay for or their employer pays for on their behalf. And they don't necessarily connect together well. They're not accessible in a single spot. So, you know, I think that this sort of platform opportunity to wrap everything together in a single experience is something that is going to become more and more prevalent in the world of benefits, just simply given the complexity of what's there now. Are we talking then about just creating simpler presentation layers, the piece that's consumer facing, or are we also talking about increasing the usefulness of the product as well? Well, I think that um, in the world of benefits, you have to be both a great designer, but also a great plumber and electrician. And what I mean by being a great plumber and electrician is exactly the point you're getting at is that the products are not that useful if they just look great. They need to connect together. And that's very, very challenging in the world of benefits. You have to connect the payroll. You've got to connect to carriers. You've got to send data in multiple directions. So that creates an added level of complexity, which is why this is hard to do and it hasn't been done well to date. Now, the opportunity that comes from that, which you were getting at, and I think it's super important, is that once you have all that data flowing through one system, the question then becomes, well, what do you do with it? You know, on the one hand, you could just store it and send it back and forth to carriers, but I think that leaves a lot to be desired on the table. Or you can start to find out what becomes possible when that data starts communicating with with one another. So what would happen if your HSA could communicate with a telemedicine service? What would happen if your healthcare concierge could communicate with you after you've come back from the doctor to ask you whether that session was helpful and to figure out whether you might have paid what you should have paid? So I think that there's a lot of opportunities for data to uncover magical moments for the end user, moments that help them save money, moments that help them be healthier. And that only happens when these products and services are talking to each other. Is that what we mean when we start talking about terms like adaptive technology? Um, maybe, I don't know. How do you define adaptive technology? <laughs> if, if I were to define it intuitively as technology that adapts to your needs, sure, absolutely. And, and I think a big part of that is the interface to the consumer, but more importantly, the data that comes together to enable an interface to the consumer that's actually got a purpose and is meaningful. And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single-source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. 
The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. In the scheme of all of this, what's the role of content? We hear so much about all of the, the content services and curation of content. Is that still as big a feature as it was before as we go to world of 2.0? Or is content not going to be nearly as visible as content, but just baked into the presentations that folks are seeing? Yeah, I think that's that's a good question. Let's maybe define content in a couple of different ways. So one, if I were to think of content as content that you can buy, a service to a healthy meal vendor or your Fitbit device or your um, life insurance policy or health insurance policy. Those are all in many ways electronic data-based products that have properties that have content. So the curation of those packages of content, I think, is definitely in the future. I think there's no doubt that people will want to look to what others like them have and would like to have curated content bundles that feel like that. So I'm a healthy family in the city. I got a couple of kids. What do other healthy families in the city with a couple of kids do to protect themselves and to think of financial and health security over time? So I think for sure their curated content is going to make a huge difference. And you know, to put an emphasis on it, I think there's certain service and product categories that while very important, are a little bit commoditized from a brand perspective, meaning that if you can offer the consumer a convenient experience that's integrated with everything else that they have in the realm of health and financial security, then I think it becomes less relevant who the purveyor of that content is, but it's just more important that they get the content they need when they need it. So that's sort of one side of it. Think of that as product-based content. The flip side will be sort of content that is authored content or video-based content that helps you make better decisions, that informs you. I don't think that that information goes away, but I think like any content, when and how you surface it becomes very important. So for most health content today, we have a problem. We then go to the internet. We look for data and information to help solve that problem. But if you look at other areas of interaction around content, think of the social sphere. The content comes to us based upon our interests, how the systems we use understand us and what's important to us. They surface content to us. Now, that's a challenging thing to do in the world of health if the systems don't know how to think of your health. Are you healthy? Are you not? What do you need today? What do you need tomorrow and next week? But I think that that's also going to start changing. I think that as platforms start to come to bear that bring all the data together, 
they're going to start having an understanding about an individual that helps those systems surface data and content at the right time to make the right kind of decision. So simple example, when you have a baby, the first person you tell are the in-laws and then you actually tell your company, right? You, you log into your HR system and tell your company that you have a dependent. Now, when that happens, let's say it's your first kid, it's probably a good time to think about life insurance. Well, wouldn't it make sense to surface up information and content to that new parent that talks about the importance of protecting their family in the case of something going wrong? That's content surfaced at the right time that is informative and helpful and thoughtful in its presentation, hopefully, may also lead to a buying decision, but one that's well-informed and one in which the end user understands the value of what they're buying. So, you know, you can extend that example out to non-commercial situations, so situations just to help someone be healthier um, and to live a productive life. But I do think the idea of content coming to you when you need it in the world of health and benefits is definitely coming. One might argue that the opposite side of the coin of content is community. I I just finished reading Steve Case's new book, The Third Wave, and he says that even in the first wave, they knew that people were the killer app of the internet. How important is community? We're seeing sites like Patients Like Me start to become more widely used. Is that going to still be a key component that kind of matches up with the ability to get answers quickly? You know, look, I I don't know a lot about that. So these are just simply my opinions. But I think that if you have a condition that is a major part of your life, then seeking communities that are supportive makes sense. But that's also a sliver of society. Now, it's an expensive part of the healthcare system, but it's a sliver of society. I think the part of society that's also extremely important to think about is those who live a relatively healthy life and want to ensure that they continue to live a healthy life, that they prevent the possibility of sickness down the road. And in those situations, they're not identifying to a health community because they don't have a health issue. They're identifying with other communities that are part of normal life, your work community, your social community, your family community. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit odd in those environments to surface up health information. I mean, it just depends on how you see your relationship to those communities. So let's think of the employer setting. The employer setting has become a place where we think about wellness programs now. Now, do they work? Do they not? I think it depends on different sorts of circumstances, but we've tried to infuse in the world of work the concept of healthiness. Now, I think it makes some logical sense, but I think that it's going to depend on the individual and, and how they view their relationship with those different communities they're in. So you know, I don't want to suggest that it's unimportant. I just think that it's a lot more nuanced and it certainly becomes sort of a different kind of challenge when you think of it outside of those who have a particular health condition that's a big part of how they have to live life every day. So we've got a couple or three minutes left in our time together. And I wonder... How do you then go about transforming the value proposition for advisors? Because those are the folks who are listening to the podcast. How does that happen? What are the next steps? What do they need to look for? Look, I 100% empathize with the advisor and the shifting landscape that they're having to deal with today. And on top of commissions being compressed, they're being presented with new challenges from HR and from what employees want to have. Um, and technology becomes a bigger and bigger part of the equation. I think that what's going to be important, there's just no doubt that advisors who don't make technology a big part of their business, I just don't think are going to have as big a role to play in the future. 
I would also argue that advisors who sell technology, you know, sort of drag it along, will face a similar fate, just maybe a little bit later. But ultimately, the organizations that are going to evolve, and this is the case with every single industry, is technology becomes an infused part of the value proposition. It would be, it's inconceivable to imagine certain businesses without technology being core to it. It's almost silly to talk about the fact that it's the case anymore. So I, I think that how the advisor presents themselves to the employer, to their employees, in a way that is integrated completely with how they experience benefits day to day will be crucial. So finding platforms and partners who can make that happen and also help those advisors transition to this new world to be able to sell effectively and service effectively in it is going to be a big part of what it means to, I think, be effective down the road. And, you know, I get up every day with the fundamental belief that We have tens of thousands of advisors across this country who wake up every single day with good intentions. They want to put a roof on their family's heads. They want to put food on the table. They want to put their kids through school and they want to then go to work and try to have an impact. And I feel like we as an industry haven't equipped those individuals to have the impact they could be having with the knowledge they already have. And I think organizations and partnerships that can evolve that really bring that to life can be very promising. What a great place to leave our discussion today. Veer Gidwani, co-founder and CEO at Maxwell Health. Veer, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. 